Hey, Ariel Nissenblatt here. Welcome to Sounds Profitable's AdTech Applied Feed. Today on the show, you'll hear a feed drop from Laura Mayer, host of the new podcast, Shameless Acquisition Target. We're playing the first episode of her show. Shameless Acquisition Target is the podcast that sells itself. You'll find out what that means momentarily. Laura is the founder of LRM Works, a podcast development studio. Before founding her own company, Laura worked to develop tons of successful shows at places like WNYC, Panoply, Sony, Stitcher, and more. Her latest show, Shameless Acquisition Target, is a must-listen for anyone in the podcast industry. It takes you through Laura's creative process and her shameless pursuit of getting the show acquired in real time. Why are we playing this show for you? First of all, it's hilarious and smart. And second, Brian Barletta, the founder of Sounds Profitable, makes some great cameo appearances in it. So let's get to it. Here is Shameless Acquisition Target, which you can learn more about and acquire at shameless.biz. Once Laura wraps up, make sure you head over to her show and hit subscribe so you don't miss the rest of the season. Enjoy. So I, I was planning on doing a cold open for this show, but then I was like, why does every show need a cold open? So I'm coming in hot. All the best podcasts are free. But free won't give me house money to be acquired. This is Shameless Acquisition Target, the podcast that sells itself. I'm your host, Laura Mayer. I don't want to bore you with me. I want to bore you with business. But to understand why I'm hosting this show and why any of this matters, I need to introduce you to someone. Meet my father, Bob Mayer. What are you going to interview me about? I want to interview you about your career and the work that you've done. My checkered career? Okay. Your checkered career. We got a lot to do. Let's go. You know that scene in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off where the gang goes to watch the stock exchange in Chicago? All the men yelling at each other, smashed up on the trading floor, brokers and traders yelling, buy, buy, sell, sell, etc. That was exactly like that. I worked for uh, years and years at the CBOE. I had uh, a floor brokerage business. We had 400 people just like in that you know, Ferris Bueller one. My dad joined the CBOE, the Chicago Board Options Exchange, when it was founded in 1973. Here's how it worked. My dad's customers called a phone that his assistant, known as a clerk, would answer. The clerk would communicate the trade from the customer via specific hand signals, sort of like sign language, but way different. I had a, I had a little wooden crate that I built so I could, you know, I'd be taller. While standing on his crate, via a variety of confusing factors that I don't quite understand, he would pick a trader to execute the trade. I was uh, taking Andy, your brother Andy, to uh, rent a tuxedo for something. I ran into one of these guys that I traded with, and he was renting a tuxedo for his kid. He says, oh, it's, you know, Sonny, this is, this is Mr. Mayor. He's a broker. You have to laugh at all his jokes. At that time, the brokers had the power. And, as you can imagine from these children needing tuxedos, in the 80s and the early 90s, business on the trading floor of the CBOE was booming. When business was good, things went pretty smoothly in the mayor household. For example, one time my dad told us we were going to the power plant to take a tour, but he actually took us to Six Flags. By the mid-1990s, a lot of my dad's business had dried up and gone elsewhere. That's when things started to get hard. 
around that same time, my dad started making some investments by pulling money out of his retirement account. One of these investments was in a business called Chicago Kid. The company was named after its mascot. It was like a little cartoon of a little, kid, a little you know, cheeky little Chicago kid, you know, with the neighborhood kid and, you know, peppy. I'm going to interject here. The Chicago Kid is a black and white sketch of a cartoon baby, a bald baby, wearing a diaper and, for some reason, sunglasses. The baby is holding a lemon in one hand and a glass of lemonade in the other. Cheeky neighborhood kid, I guess, is the right description. Anyway, they, they lent his image to different food products, like lemonade and pudding and soft drinks and pies. So the cartoon baby company sold powdered lemonade, pudding, and pies. It went bankrupt <laughs> for two reasons. One reason is there was a terrible flood in the Mississippi, and the factory that was put, producing this stuff was washed away. The other one was they had the new, they put new rules on sell-by dates for certain stuff. So when we put these pies in a drugstore or something, it was already like a week past due by the time I hit the shelves, and, and they take them off the shelves, and you couldn't sell them. Anyway, the company went out of business. As I recall, my dad had expired powdered pudding and lemonade in his basement until his basement flooded. He also invested in a chicken food company that used, wait for it, chicken shit to make chicken seed. Money out of the retirement plan and bought it. And then they found out that this stuff was causing salmonella and blah, 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 blah. The circle of life. As my dad's financial situation kept getting rockier, I remember thinking, why can't he just find out who runs the stock market and talk to them? When I asked who ran the stock market, my dad said, it's a man on an island. I guess to kind of shut me up, but I believed him until I was at least a teenager. I definitely searched, quote, where is the man on the island who runs the stock market, end quote, on Ask Jeeves. I guess so I could find him and get to the bottom of all of this. Despite it all, my dad tried tirelessly. He got up at 4.30 every morning, left the house at 5.30, and worked all day. He missed 15 days of work across the three decades he was working on the floor of the Chicago Board Options Exchange. But things never quite worked out how he hoped. Okay, so what does this have to do with the show? What I saw growing up? Businesses, controlled by a man on an island or not, going bust. I saw how the financial ups and downs of these businesses determined the emotional cadence of my entire family. I saw how the business's failings caused me to not have a full pair of gloves for several Chicago winters. How I hid my hands from my teachers so they wouldn't know. How these problems and my fixation on how to help made me who I am today. I'm still fascinated by, and somewhat terrified of, these cycles. I've seen lives made by good deals. I've seen lives ruined by bad ones. What I want to do on this show, and in my professional life, is to figure out how to catch these cycles just right. So I can own a house, so that my kid can go to college without wild student debt. Basically, so that I can earn the kind of stability that I've always been seeking. But, as we all know, we return to what feels familiar, right? In my case, that's chaos. This would be a great place for an online therapy ad. Hint, hint. 
This episode of Shameless Acquisition Target is sponsored by Sounds Profitable. Sounds Profitable is a completely independent, self-funded, neutral source for growing the business of podcasting through education, events, research, and community. I spoke with Brian Barletta, partner and founder of Sounds Profitable for the show, about the business of podcast advertising, among other topics. That interview is coming up in the next few episodes. But while I was talking to Brian, he brought an idea to little old me. You should you should try and sell every single guest on something. Oh, interesting. So here's my first pitch. Industry average, according to AdvertiseCast, uh, is around $25 CPM for ads, right? I will buy uh, a pre-roll ad. You can bill me whatever that ends up being uh, during the term of the first nine months at $25 CPM, and you do an ad promoting Sounds Profitable. I didn't even need to ask. Money is just flowing through the door. Let's talk turkey. Sounds Profitable is paying me $1,000 to sponsor this show. If anyone wants to come in and pay more than $1,000, you can topple the sponsorship. I want to encourage anybody listening to this to replace me. So I'm your fallback. I'm your remnant. I'm your leftover when nothing else sells. Nothing else sells, Brian? Listeners, take this as a challenge. Sounds Profitable is a completely independent, self-funded, neutral source for growing the business of podcasting through education, events, research, and community. No corporate expense report? No problem. Everything Sounds Profitable does is available for free thanks in part to nearly 100 sponsors who share the same vision. Visit www.soundsprofitable.com for more information. Around the same time as the chicken shit to chicken seed situation, I heard my first, quote, podcast quote, which was an episode of the radio show This American Life. I'd burned it onto a CD to listen to while shelving books at my job at the local children's library. This American Life made me feel, for the first time ever, that there was a world outside of the sometimes hard one of my family. Stable lives with narratives that had beginnings, middles, and ends— The show expanded my world, gave me a sense of who I could be as an adult. My conclusion in discovering this wonder was that I needed to work in radio. I imprinted on this path like a feral kitten to an older duck in one of those viral interspecies friendship videos. This is to say, from teenagehood forward, I had every ounce of determination focused on my career, on this particular career. So when I was 22, I did something that no one else in my family had done in 100 years. I moved east of Indiana. I moved to the big city, New York City to be precise. Why did I make that move? Was it to get on Broadway? To be like Carrie Bradshaw in the censored TBS version of Sex and the City? I moved to New York because two radio shows I loved were in New York, This American Life and Radio Lab. That's right. In 2009, I moved to the big city to make it big on the radio. As some investment banker told me, as I waited for him to buy me a drink, you want to work in radio? Isn't that like working in VHS? He did not buy me a drink. I was wearing a tube top. Things in radio and podcasting were different in 2009, and specifically at WNYC, New York Public Radio, where I started as an intern. When I arrived there during the hard depths of the Great Recession, the station was in the process of shutting down almost all of their podcasts. At that time, there was lots of talk about the podcast bubble having burst. That was okay with me because I had $3,000 and very cheap rent. I got a bona fide sort of job as a permalancer assistant producer at WNYC. Things were young and wild. 
When I wasn't working on the radio, I was trying to get people to buy me drinks in the meatpacking district. Has anyone ever been so young? Five and a half years passed. I took on other jobs at the radio station. The first season of Serial came out. Suddenly, podcasts were back, baby. Note, they had never actually left, but we'll get to that. Long story short, Serial opened up new financial conversations in podcasting. Big companies suddenly saw that there might be money in these podcast hills. Gimlet Media started. People were making livable wages, getting good healthcare benefits, acting strangely optimistic. People were finally buying me drinks. So when I was approached to be employee number one at a podcast startup called Panoply, then a part of Slate Magazine, I was like, yeah, I'll take that job. I'll take that job like crazy. And I worked like, well, crazy for two years. I didn't take a weekend off for the entire time I was there. I got married at Staten Island Borough Hall on a Thursday and went into work the next day to record a podcast pilot. Once, I took a meeting from the hospital. When I later revealed my whereabouts, I was scolded for not attending in person. Also at that time, I was simply poisoning myself with your leans in, your girl bosses. Eat, sleep, work, repeat. I thought if I only wrung out every little bit of myself possible, I'd get to where I needed to go by hook or by crook, or by book, etc. My hair started falling out. I bought these hair growth vitamins made out of actual shark that I heard about on, you guessed it, a podcast. They worked, but they tasted like what actual shark must taste like, like fish and blood. As I was watching my hair fall out, my identity slip away, as I rose and ground my head into the sand, I did some good work. I hired the entire editorial team for the company. We launched a veritable shit ton of shows. I became invaluable rather than valuable to the operation, an operation I felt so loyal to, all with a team that I felt very personally responsible for. This was, if you can't already tell, a big mistake. Believe me when I tell you this, I fucking love podcasts. But during this time, something funny started happening. I stopped being able to listen to podcasts at all, for the first time since I was a teenager. I tried and just felt nauseated. The only show I could stomach was a Real Housewives Breakdown podcast, so naturally I applied for a job at the network that made that show. A logical next step. The day before my 30th birthday, I told my boss I was leaving the company. He immediately got up and stormed out of the office. I didn't see him for the rest of the day. On the next day, the day of my 30th birthday, I had to do two things. One was take a drug test for my new job, a thing I didn't realize I'd have to do, but it wasn't a problem because, once again, my only hobby is listening to podcasts. The second thing was to officially quit my job. When I came to work, the CEO was sitting with my boss in his office. This was odd, since the CEO didn't live in New York. It turned out he had made a special trip. I was summoned into the office with these two men, my boss and the CEO. The CEO said it was my last day. I expected that. I was going to a competing network. But it was after that that things started to get weird. The CEO said, and I quote, this is how it's going to go. We're calling a meeting in 30 minutes with the entire editorial staff. During that meeting, you're gonna tell everyone you have faith in the company and that you're leaving for personal reasons. Oh, and sign the separation agreement now in this room. And by the way, we're taking away all of your phantom equity, every last bit of it. To be clear, after me, they didn't take away anyone else's equity when they left the company, whether they went to a competitor or not. 
They did it to make an example out of me. You dare to be disloyal after all we've done for you, young lady? You're out of luck. I signed the document, wrote the password to my computer on a post-it, and went into the meeting. The previous year on my birthday, the staff had organized a surprise birthday party for me in the conference room. So on that day, when everyone gathered for a sudden meeting, they thought a cake event was about to happen. And I sat down, looked at everyone and said, today will be my last day at the company. I have faith in the company. I'm leaving for personal reasons. Blink, blink. The whole room froze. I started crying. The crying was a problem for my ego and for my recently applied eyelash extensions, but I digress. The CEO said, Laura will be around for the rest of the day. As I walked out of the room, he pulled me aside and said, I think you should leave now. I gathered up my things, which included several birthday presents from the staff, and left. On the walk to the train, I pulled out one of the fancy ginger ale bottles the technical director had given me. I took two sips from the bottle, then smashed it into a garbage can. I stood and listened as the glass shattered. That company that I helped build from the ground up, that I no longer had any equity in, no stake in, Three years later, it ended up selling for more than $200 million. And it was at that point when some share of $200 million passed me by, I fully realized that acquisitions, acquisitions had become the North Star of the podcast industry. This is not a pity party. My career has gone pretty well so far. This podcast is a shameless pursuit of finding my wagon to the gold rush. That said, I'm currently still ashamed to toot my own horn, so I hired a voiceover artist to do it for me. Hi, I'm Carrie. Laura Mayer has created and launched more successful shows than anyone in big podcasting. Through her career, she's developed or produced shows such as Revisionist History, The Just Enough Family, The Dream, Bad Blood, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and more. Laura's claims about launching more successful shows than anyone in big podcasting has not been verified or publicly denied by anyone. If you find yourself disturbed or annoyed by this program, please consider paying Laura Mayer to stop producing the show. Thank you, Carrie. Over the years, I've worked at a bunch of different podcast companies, trying to make the best stuff I could while often navigating extreme pushback. Pretty typical of a new industry with a bunch of money in it. I argued tirelessly trying to get shows made. Frustratingly, I often faced the most intense pushback from people who would proudly say they'd never heard a podcast. Years passed. The pandemic happened. I got pregnant. I got sick, like really sick. I must say preeclampsia and near liver failure is an amazing combination for a new parent. Truly a sick situation. And I, even more horrifyingly, got some time to think. Near-death experiences really do force some revelations, whether you want them to or not. I decided that I wanted to get mine, get back in the game, on my own terms, and I wanted to show people how to do it too. You, dear listener, are one of these people. While clawing my way up this industry, I saw some of my friends and a few of my enemies get rich, rich, rich. Money is cool. Money gets you things like healthcare and childcare and braces and clogs and opportunities. My feelings around watching my colleagues simply rake it in by starting and selling companies wasn't just jealousy around the money they made. It was mainly jealousy of their ability to put themselves fully out there, to not hide behind another company, to push forward. A shamelessness. A shamelessness I admired and still admire. A full-throated belief in thyself. A shamelessness I missed in myself. One that I lost sight of while trying to climb my way up in a new industry. 
a shamelessness I'm determined to reclaim for the sake of my career and for the sake of my daughter. So I'm out here on this podcast trying to get mine. And I'm going to help you, dear listener, get yours too. On this show, we're going to navigate this tricky industry full of money, full of imposters, full of too-good-to-be-true opportunities together. I'll show you how to do this by talking to a ton of people from business, entertainment, and media. You'll hear and cringe as I attempt to get my shamelessness back. It's going to be fun and educational. Imagine. Then, at the end of the series, I'm putting it all up for sale. The show itself, any derivative rights, intellectual property, the RSS feed, merch, maybe even my life rights. Listener, that means you could literally buy it. This show that you're listening to right now all in an effort to find out what it's like to be acquired shamelessly. While I wait for my direct-to-consumer therapy app to return my calls already, to advertise on the show, I mean, I'm thrilled to talk to you about my actual sponsor, Sounds Profitable. I reached out to Brian Barletta, partner and founder of Sounds Profitable, for an upcoming episode of the podcast. And something interesting happened. So so on our previous conversation, you said you would like to purchase a advertising slot on my podcast. I would. And let's talk about the difference between advertising and sponsorship, too, a little bit. So sponsorships in your best interest, right? Sure are. Sponsorships are basically a paid allegiance with another company or organization, often in exchange for money, cold, hard cash. This allegiance, this affinity, provides value for both parties. And it's especially good if, like this podcast, you're just starting out. You don't know the reach. You don't know the value of all that. But you're telling a compelling story. You know a bunch of people. Like now, if I was playing the buyer side, I would tell you, okay, well, you don't really have a proven audience. Okay, okay, I'll take the sponsorship. Jesus, Brian. So we settled on Sounds Profitable paying me $1,000 for the sponsorship. Maybe you learned a little something in this conversation. This is the kind of industry insights and education that you can expect from Sounds Profitable. Once again, Sounds Profitable is a completely independent, self-funded, neutral source for growing the business of podcasting through education, events, research, and community. No corporate expense report? No problem. Everything Sounds Profitable does is available for free, thanks in part to nearly 100 sponsors who share the same vision. Visit www.soundsprofitable.com for more information. All right, so what is an acquisition anyway? Simply put, it's when one company buys a smaller company. The larger company does this because they've identified some value that they believe they can gain through buying the smaller company. Once the acquisition takes place, generally that smaller company is incorporated into the larger company's operations. To be honest, I didn't care all that much about acquisitions until they started happening all around me over the last several years. Allow me to let some numbers do the talking. In 2015, EW Scripps acquired Midroll Media for $50 million. In 2018, iHeartMedia acquired Stuff Media, including How Stuff Works, for $55 million. In 2019, 
Spotify acquired Gimlet reportedly for $200 million. In 2019, Spotify acquired Anchor, reportedly $140 million. I'm interrupting this whirlwind to explain what you're hearing. I hired a young child and an old man to read off some of the deals to help me make this point. In 2019, Spotify acquired Parcast for $56 million. In 2019, Sirius XM acquired Pandora for $3.5 billion. In 2019, Enter now known as Odyssey, acquired Pineapple Street Media for $18 million. In 2019, Intercom, now known as Odyssey, acquired Cadence 13 for $50 million. In 2020, Sirius XM acquired Stitcher and Earwolf from EW Scripts for $325 million. In 2020, Amazon acquired Wondery for $300 million. In 2021, Amazon acquired Art19 for $300 million. Thank you, Fiverr. I will proudly take you on as an advertiser. Ugh, that is many millions of dollars, and this is not an exhaustive list. This flood of money forever changed the industry from a business and creative perspective. As these acquisitions happened, I watched as much of the business strategy shifted away from the revenue generated by the podcasts themselves and focused more on how the shows or their RSS feeds, basically the channel through which a podcast distributes its episodes, could become something totally different, become TV shows, movies, franchises. This changed the type of shows that could be created, the way shows were marketed, the types of audiences that were served. All because suddenly, countless companies in this small industry were most focused on getting acquired. And guess what? So am I. Over the next six weeks, I'm bringing 15 years of podcast experience to bear to try to sell out as hard and as fast as I possibly can. What are you doing? You are sus. We're taking a walk. Me, my husband, Danny, and our one-year-old daughter, Joanna. It's a walk we've done many times before. Okay, so let's just stop for a second. Can you describe, just describe the house? It's a gray house. The gray house. I would guess it's about 80 to 100 years old, because that's how old most of the houses in this neighborhood are. And um, should I do like a brief history of Victorian Flatbush? I'll stop him here. The Gray House is a remarkable compact tutor, excellently maintained, just blocks away from our rental apartment. The first time I saw it, I thought, someday I will live there. I've never had that clear of a thought about basically anything ever. We would walk by it all the time, particularly after COVID, and just daydream about having more space. And then we've looked it up on Zillow and stuff, and uh, it has a, it has a very uh, distinctive and nice exterior. If you're an aspiring homeowner, I suspect you've done your fair share of Zillow, Harriet the Spying, too. But the gray house, the gray house holds some kind of psychic power for me. If I'm having trouble sleeping, I think of the gray house. If I'm annoyed by something that happens with work, to the gray house my mind goes. When I literally almost died after having my kid, I thought a lot about the gray house. Let it be known that Joe has started pointing at their neighbor. The gray house made me realize there are two things that would make me feel like I have fully made it financially. If I own a home that I can comfortably afford, and if I can donate enough money to the Sean Casey Animal Rescue, where I adopted my cat Hector 10 years ago, so that they name a cage after him. Ideally, they'd name the cage Hector's Place. 
I think they can probably build Hector's place for about $8,000, after which we should give it to human beings. Okay, fine. But back to the gray house. I couldn't help myself but do a little more research. And I wanted to reveal my findings to Danny, with Joe, in front of the house, where we've stood many times before. So, the owner of the house? Oh, I already hate this. The trust. Now That's got to get bleeped so hard. I suspected my shamelessness was going to make for an interesting conversation. Now, the trust, I believe, is between the wife and Okay. Her father is a famous litigator. Okay. I already am <laughs> so bothered by this. <laughs> a litigator. You better fucking bleep this out so hard. Okay. Okay. okay, just chill out. You can't say any of this. Okay, so there was a New York Times search that I did on uh-huh. things that had happened to the house, uh-huh. and someone died on the property. Oh, good. That's one of your non-negotiables. But, like... Yeah, it seems like you can have your legs broken and sued if you get at all specific about any of this. People give you a lot less weird looks when you're standing outside with a baby recording something. Yeah. Right, Joe? Where do you want to go? She's pointing forward. To the playground? Excelsior. Despite Danny's discomfort, I'm going to use this moment as an opportunity to... set an intention, and start to put some shamelessness back into my life. I'm going to figure out a way, somehow, someday, to live in this goddamn house. And this is how you can help me do that. Doesn't it feel like we just had an ad? Don't try fast-forwarding it, because it's not 30 seconds or 15 seconds long or any kind of standard ad unit length. So it's going to be way more trouble than it's worth to get back into the content. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. This episode of Shameless Acquisition Target is sponsored by Sounds Profitable. Sounds Profitable is a completely independent, self-funded, neutral source for growing the business of podcasting through education, events, research, and community. We're an advisory group providing services to the whole podcast industry to help grow audience and monetization as equally as possible. That's Brian Barletta, partner and founder of Sounds Profitable. He's given me some great ideas as to what I can do to squeeze every last dollar out of this show. I would do every angle. I would throw this on Kickstarter, GoFundMe, buy me a coffee. I would just say, like, literally, write up your manifesto that says, here's the deal. I'm going to be transparent with all the money. I just want to prove that this can work. And if you do that, it'll be wild. Thank you, Brian. I will monetize this advice. And to remind you, listener, this sponsorship will continue until you replace it. You can replace it by paying at least $1,001 to me, Laura Mayer, and then I'll probably say whatever you want in the podcast. Brian seems nice, but he's a business person. Businesses are tricky enterprises. I'm a tricky business person. I'm a tricky enterprise. Tricky, tricky. Hello, listener. Thank you for listening so far into this episode. You know, I respect you. You, yes, you, a lot. And by the way, your hair looks amazing today. It always looks good, but it just looks really shiny today. I hope it's okay that I'm buttering you up. 
I'm doing this not just because I hope you can learn things along with me on my path to shamelessness. I also might be trying to sell the show to you because shamelessly, everyone's a potential buyer, right? So let me tell you a little bit about the rest of the series that you'll be buying. In addition to acquisitions from a podcasting point of view, this series is going to get into intellectual property, blockbusters, prestige TV, the real meaning of the acronym EBITDA, and more. We'll talk with at least one winner of an Academy Award and at least two losers of the program Shark Tank. And in the final episode, we'll see if anyone bought what I was selling. And I'm not doing this alone. Starting in the next episode, you'll meet both my business guide and these talented youths I've paid to help me understand TikTok. Fear not, you now listeners, but soon-to-be potential buyers. I'll keep you all up to date on profits and losses. In each episode, I'm going to let you know how much money I've spent on the project so far and how much money I've made, plus how I've made it. As of today, I've spent otherwise known as lost, currently entirely from my personal savings, $13,540.10. As of today, primarily through sales of the fabulous merch available at www.shameless.biz and by selling the one sponsorship deal to Sounds Profitable, love you guys, I've made $1,025.50. This means I'm currently in the hole $12,519.60. Deep, deep breaths. <clears throat> and on that note, want to help me dig myself out of this financial ditch? You can do this by visiting www.shameless.biz. On that website, you can buy absolutely fetching merch or make an actual offer to buy the show. Currently, we have some Shameless Acquisition branded t-shirts, stickers, and mugs for sale. Our newest addition is a shirt with the logo of Hector's Place, the cage at the animal shelter that I'll try to get named after my cat. Hector. Shameless Acquisition Target is an LRM Works production, the first of its kind. The show is produced by Marina Henke. Thank you, Marina. Our parody theme song was written by me and composed and recorded by Harkin. Harkin's new album just dropped. It's called Honeymoon Suite. You can listen to it on Spotify or buy it wherever you get your music. I put the link in the show notes of the episode. It is very, very, very good. The episode is mixed and sound designed by Stephen Becker. Our story editor is Dan Blondell. Thank you so much to Kate and Mangesh from Kaleidoscope for their essential, essential editorial guidance. Thank you also to Oz and Costas, also from Kaleidoscope. Administrative help from Terry Mancuso. Administrative and creative disruption by Joanna Blondell. Thank you once again to Sounds Profitable for sponsoring the show. As a reminder, anyone can replace the Sounds Profitable sponsorship. I dare you to replace it. You just need to pay more than $1,000. Once again, I'm your host, Laura Mayer. You can find me on Twitter at L-R-M-A-Y-E-R, L-R-Mayer, or on the show's website, www.shameless.biz. Um, okay, so last question. When this podcast inevitably becomes a TV show or movie, who do you want to play you and why? Harry Styles, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Not Harry Styles, and how about Steve Buscemi? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>